So Brad, I got a question for you. What's up, Scott? Uh, how young is too young to become a juggalo? Interesting question. Yeah. Um, it could be argued that you're born a juggalo and therefore there is not too young. Do you mean listening to ICP? A little like listening to ICP, partaking in the events. Like, what is too young? Chugging three liters of Fago, naked at a gathering. Yeah, like I associate it with like being like fourteen. Is that about like? Grade That's a eight? pretty good entry point. Yeah. yeah, I got into it, and we're gonna talk about that in this episode. I got into it at fifteen myself. Um, as soon as I pretty quickly into discovering them, I was a full fledged juggler. It didn't take me long to make the realization that connection happened pretty fast. Um, fourteen, maybe thirteen. I mean, I've heard of people claiming that they were down at seven or something because of like an older brother and all that. I'm sure that happens. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm sure it's out there. But, I mean, watch some Disney movies at that age, honestly. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> there's, some, yeah. there's some other good shit in there. And you can take that in and, you know, you've got your whole life to listen to violent clowns rap. Not that I'm against that. To each their own. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I, I think, yeah, the early teens is a good place to start. Or as I've, I've met people who didn't get into it until they were like 52. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. I met this old Santa-looking guy who was crowd surfing at the gathering, and I think it was like 2010. And yeah, he said he didn't get into it until his like late 40s, early 50s. Crazy. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine like, like going through like the 1970s and listening to Steppenwolf and all this other <laughs> yeah. stuff, and then later in life discovering this. Well, I've got to think he was kind of upset about that because he was. I, I'm often upset that. I'm not old enough or I wasn't in the right place yeah. to have been down when the Carnival of Carnage came out, to have seen those shows in Detroit, you know, to watch the whole Juggalo movement really be born. I yeah. was, I, it was already alive when I discovered it, and I felt, I still feel like I missed a big part of that. So he was alive. He could have done it. He just didn't <laughs> hear the wagons until he was that old, until I think, I think they were past me when he discovered them. I think it was like post Six Jokers card. Crazy. Yeah. Bizarre. Bizarre, bizarre. Scott. And this is the Gentleman Juggalo. Welcome Juggalos, Juggalettes, ninjas of all kind. Uh, hopefully you've been listening all along because this is a pretty exciting episode. This is the penultimate Joker's card. Ooh. Number five mode. Do you know what that means? What's that? What does it mean? It's almost... Do you mean... Do, do I know what penultimate means? <laughs> or do, Yes. I Either do. one. I gave you multiple clues in that little rant. It means it's almost the last one. It's second to last, that's yeah. right, which will confuse everybody because we do, of course, have two more Joker's cards to cover after this, but there are, in fact, as we will soon learn, two different faces, two different exhibits to the sixth Joker's card. Oh, okay. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because this, right now, is 1999, the era of the fifth Joker's card, the amazing Jekyll Brothers. Let's, let's set the scene. Uh, the Matrix. What else was happening in 99? The Matrix just came out fight club was out i think the re-releases of all the original star wars were happening around this time uh it started in 97 99 would have been when uh this no the attack of the clones oh no yeah you're right Uh, it was when jedi came out uh and then 
the whatever the original episode one came out in 2001. Okay, whatever. Fuck yeah. Star Wars. Anyway. Flex it all. And uh, yeah, and we were all worried about Y2K. Um, Holy shit, was I worried about Y2K. I worked at a grocery store at this time. I've told you this story before. Yes. Every day, I would see rednecks coming in, buying so many, as many of those big gallons, not even gallons, what are those, like 18 liter things of water that they could carry. And they'd yeah. go out mumbling that the Y2K bug was going to get them, and they just have to hole up in their basement with Mary Ann and Mary Lou, their two daughters, and wait it out till the Terminator's passed. I, I, I love the idea that if the computers go wrong, the water's the first thing. <laughs> like, they were pretty worried about their water supply. And living on a farm, they probably have a fucking well. So I don't know what that was about. Yeah, yeah. There's no computer that controls their water. Um, uh, and the other big thing, which I'm sure you might touch on a bit in a little bit, is Woodstock 99, the stupidest Woodstock of all time. Where the people best were, Woodstock of all time, thank you very much. Where people were getting raped, killed, and playing in human feces. Let me point out that that probably happened at every damn Woodstock. <laughs> That's almost true. Some people got run over in the first one. Yeah. I mean, hey, some bad things happened in that Woodstock. I'm not trying to promote any of that. I'm going to promote some other stuff that happened in that Woodstock, yeah. specifically the appearance of the Wicked Clowns. Yeah. They were there at that one. They, I don't know if you knew that. They, they were. I've, I've watched the DVD of Woodstock 99 many times. Are, are they featured on that DVD? I think so, yeah. Okay, because I, sure, yeah. I have their full performance on, like, well, I, I'm not going to say bootleg, but yeah, I, I have my own copy, if you will. Yeah, yeah, Woodstock 99 is, like, a fascination of mine. Like, like I know a lot about Woodstock 99 specifically. Um, like, they, they weren't part of the riots or anything like that. I think that happened mostly during uh, Limp Bizkit's set. It was, correctly. yeah. But they did create a little bit of chaos on their own. They did pay stagehands to run around naked on their stage <laughs> because it was Woodstock. Yeah. And they also, like, had um, big beach volleyballs that they'd take money onto and be like, this one has hundreds of dollars taken on it and just whip it into the crowd to have everyone like tear each other apart to get the money. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Especially it, since bottles of water were like $10 there and there was no source of water in the sweltering heat all weekend. You know what? They were looking out for the juggalos. <laughs> yeah. But I, I've heard them talk a lot about that Woodstock and being like, not even knowing if people would come up to them or if people would really know who ICP was at that because everyone wanted to see like Joni Mitchell part two and shit. Like yeah, that. yeah, or like you know? Rage Against the Machine was a big. Yeah, uh, big what's event up with there. Grace Slick nowadays? <laughs> and I often wonder that myself. But um, yeah, they had a huge turnout, and Jay was saying like it was the first time he really was able to see like you know put your hands up, jugglers. He yelled that, and he could basically see the sound wave travel back because of like how people put their hands <laughs> from the front to the back. That's awesome. Just because there were so many people, so it was a pretty mind blowing episode or um, moment for them. Yeah. Um, allegedly, Violent Jay got to goose Cheryl Crow's ass. <laughs> They got their share of entertaining moments, and they all, like, did it off. They came in in their big painted buses. Everybody in their crew had, like, <laughs> matching psychopathic jackets and stuff like that. I, they I, represented hard. I would also say, uh, and th I'm, I'm sure this will come up a little bit because there's some things that I noticed in, in the songs, but uh, I also think 1999 <laughs> was the, the beginning of, like, what we're dealing with right now with, like, how society's falling apart basically started in 1999 by my estimations yeah i agree i'm not even gonna argue any point of that i think that was right around the time everything began to go to shit and i think the album today kind of reflects that i think icp were feeling it right in that moment i would also and this is going to raise some some things is they fell into the same trap that we all did by being edgy in a really 
uncool way. <laughs> Interesting. I'm excited yeah. to hear that because I don't think ICP or any strangers to edge. So it sounds like they crossed the line for you on this one. Yeah, that but that surprises I, me. But I think we all crossed the line in 1999. Like th- that's we were in Jinkos in '99. No, but like 1999 was the time period where like, like. You'd have a friend that would say the N-word because it was, like, going to raise, like, make somebody freak out, you know? Fuck that friend. But, but you know what I mean. It was, like, always, like, some guy going, like, hey, you want to hear a rape joke? And you're just, like, not really. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that was, like, yeah. what, what 1999 was in a nutshell. Yeah, everybody had their hair dyed blonde. Yeah, and now they're old enough to be voting Republican, and here we are. Let's hope, let's hope not. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that's a good setting the scene of 99. And where did we leave the clowns that had just cut their hair off and dyed it blonde? Well, Jake cut his off by accident in the middle of a panic attack, as we recall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, with shitty, weird hair, he did end up dyeing it platinum blonde. And Shaggy shaved his head completely bald as a show of support. Yeah, and I like that look a lot better. I mean, they look a, a lot more threatening with the, with the dreads, but uh, yeah. it's more iconic, I think, with the... The new hairstyles, especially really? Shaggy. I think Shaggy looks better bald. Yeah? Yeah. Interesting theory. I, I look at it as the end of an era in a lot of ways. There's yeah. a transition from kind of the old shit to the new shit. At least that's how I view it. A lot of people consider this to be still the old shit by far. I mean, this is still in the first third of their career, really. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, so, like, they were kind of peaking at this point. Like, this was like the height of... Their exposure, absolutely. Height of they Juggalomania. Were... <laughs> Juggalomania lives on, brother. <laughs> but... If you'll excuse the, excuse the expression, they were top of the world at this point. Yeah. They were still on Island Records. They were still hanging out with Jimmy Iovine. Um, Shockumentary with Flash. Malenko had gone platinum. Jekyll Brothers went platinum as well. Um, and this was also the start of something new. And I, I wrestled with whether to address this now or later. And I think I'm going to touch on it more in the next episode. Yeah. But right around this area was, era was the start of something that a lot of people call the family era. Are you familiar with that term? Uh, yeah. Like... Um... Yeah, well, I went to the show, and I'm kind of familiar, like, just from knowing some jugglers, but it's, like, the idea that it's, uh, like, when the family, family chant started, and it was more just, like, a unity thing among all jugglers. Yeah, and a lot of that started happening because ICP stopped being loners. Yeah. Um, they created Psychopathic Records just because they didn't want to be another rapper put out by, like, a label that was just their name. You oh, know, like, Too yeah. Fresh would be on Too Fresh Records and stuff like that, and they always thought that looked shitty, so we want to have our own label. So, so this is when they had other bands coming on. Is yeah. What saying. I yeah. mean, they had come and gone a little bit. They had like a guy called Misery and um, a couple other, well, one other before maybe that didn't really last, didn't really catch on with Juggalos. Them and Misery mm-hmm. are now pretty fresh on Project Born. Well, actually, he made a little bit of a resurgence lately. I think he played a gathering or something like that. But uh, not a whole lot. But then they signed a group called the House of Crazies. Okay. And then House of Crazies. The ROC dropped out of it, and they didn't know, and they ended up going with them anyways, and they rebranded themselves as Twisted. Okay, yeah. And then I Twisted brought in Blaze Your Dead Homie, yeah. and brought in ABK, and that was all kind of popping off around this area. So the chants of, you know, it used to be these chants of ICP, yeah. ICP, and then it became like Twisted, ICP, Psychopathic Family. Yeah. And, okay. and that, that chant kept on growing, and there began to be like different strains of juggalos. Like now you've got the Twisted Serial Killer juggalos, and the right. old school Malenko juggalos with the dreads, and the new school juggalos with the jean jackets. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I'm not talking about that as division, like it was a yeah. bigger and broader unity, but you also began to see these different strains of juggalos popping up. And yet, they were all united by the hatchet and the juggalo lifestyle and the love for the wicked shit in the underground, which in and of itself really began to um, 
define itself a lot more, and I think we hear bits of that happening on this album. Yeah. You notice that as well? Yeah, I, I did. There, yeah, there, there was different flavors of <laughs> flavors of, of, of juggalo, ju- juggalo material on this one, especially just the one song. But Juggalism is acceptable. Um, juggalism. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, so a question about this is, uh, was there different, like, were juggalos regional? Like, was there, like, Chicago juggalos are different than, like, was it that, or was it more just, like, what your favorite era was? It's or, more favorite eras yeah. and uh, favorite musicians. Like, some people some people are juggalos that, like, Twisted more. Yeah. Like, I think there was even some that might have liked Blaze more. Oh, That's purely cool. speculation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there was a couple. Um, and, like, Props to Blaze. I loved Blaze back in the day. I, myself, I've always been primarily ICP guy. I mean, I love the shit out of Twisted for a long time. Still like a lot of their stuff. Still go to their concerts and all that. Yeah. But we'll cover that whole scene later on, because... We're not in the family era anymore. Things are a little bit different now. Yeah, my understanding is Twisted is kind of like, uh, like the the next in line. Like if you're ranking them at most popular to least popular, my understanding is they're like kind of second. Oh yeah, right? I, yeah. You could definitely say that. Some would argue that they've surpassed. Oh okay. Um, I wouldn't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either, based on the fact that if you ask the average person on the street who Twisted was, they would have no idea. Yeah. Twisted <laughs> are amazing rappers, and it's a whole different story. We could do a whole season just on Twisted and where they came from and where they've gotten to now. Nothing but respect to Twisted. Yeah. Um, and we'll cover where that is and where that affects ICP and what's happened since then, probably in, like, season two or three. Okay, yeah. But, um... At this point, they were just starting that era. There's two albums that we're not going to cover, because after this, they put out Bizarre and Bizarre, and we'll probably cover those in a later season. Okay. Um, that was kind of their bid to get off Island Records, I think, because they had a contract for a certain number, and the story uh. is that they didn't want to release a six with any kind of um, label. And there might be other reasons behind that, and we'll test the audience for that as well. You can always hit up us up on the Facebook site, uh, The Gentleman Juggalo, if you have input on that you want to see us cover, and we'll talk about some other opportunities to get involved later in this episode and the next one. Another thing that ICP were doing at this time, though, and this is important to my story, is that they were in wrestling. <laughs> you watched yeah. during the Attitude Era, right? Uh, no, I didn't. Wa- I didn't watch uh, WWF. I watched WCW during this era. Okay, well, they were in WCW yeah. as well. They were in WCW, and that's how how I know them. But I, uh, yeah, I do, you know when um, WWF there was that era before the Attitude Era where it kind of dropped off and kind of sucked for a while. Yeah. I got on WCW at that point and then never went back to WWF. Okay, not even when they announced that Mankind had won the title live on WCW? <laughs> no, but like it was one of those things where like I understood what was going on at the time in WWF. I just like the, the WCW was stupider. NWO? Yeah. Fuck oh, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> Wolfpack. <laughs> I kind of loved WCW at the time too. I mean, they didn't have The Rock and he's my all-time favorite. Yeah. But uh, ICP wrestled in WWF. ICP wrestled in WCW. Yeah. ICP wrestled in ECW. Yeah. And ICP started their own federation. In fact, ICP wrestled in pretty much every wrestling league that's ever existed anywhere ever. Yeah, I was going to say. Except maybe AEW nowadays, and they've got to cover that. I was going to say, didn't they do like the Japanese uh, circuit as well? Um, I don't know if they were over in Japan or not. Oh, okay. Because I know that was kind of like popping off at the same time as ECW. I wasn't sure if that was. Mm-hmm. Only for the super smart marks, though. Yeah. I didn't get into Japanese wrestling until I got into the Fire Pro series. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's a deep dive right there. We can do a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, but that helped a very special thing happen to me because me and my friends were super into wrestling mm-hmm. and these guys started showing up and they were pretty cool, but it was actually my friend Brian who said to me like, you know, these guys actually have an album out. Like, oh yeah. No way, really? Like I checked that out and he, he started like 
rapping some of it to me in class and all that, and like it sounded pretty funny. So I'm like, yeah, no, I'm just gonna pick it up. Yeah. Don't even worry about that. Like I, I, I wasn't big in it for oral seeds as much. I'd lend them out sometimes, but not this one. Not for like ten years. <laughs> um, so I went one day. My parents drove me to Edmonton. And I got to hang out in the mall for a little while, as was my want back then, as a sullen 15-year-old in extra baggy Randy River pants. <laughs> yeah, almost everybody from the outskirts of Edmonton loved going to that mall. Every, oh, it I, was what you did when you came to Edmonton. Everyone from Edmonton hated that mall. <laughs> oh, for sure. I, I haven't been to it in, like, years, other than when I have to do Christmas shopping or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. It's not something for Edmontonians. But as a kid, like, I mean, it was convenient for my parents. They needed to run around the city, do their stuff, pick up groceries and all that. Yeah. So dump the kids at the mall. They'll be okay. Well, and it is pretty part. impressive, like, considering you're from a small town, you go to this gigantic fucking mall with a boat in it. That mall was literally bigger than my town, I think. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> it definitely had a higher population at any given time. Yeah. Um, so I would hang out there, and that day I picked up two CDs. Do you remember the other one? I told you this once before. Um, oh, God. It was... Fuck, what was it? It was like... Detroit, both of them. Oh. I picked up the Amazing, amazing Jekyll Brothers and the Slim Shady. Oh. Well, I thought it was going to be something else. I thought it was something crazier. <laughs> when you said that, I was like, oh, I kind of remember you picking up like Enya or something. Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> nope. It was those two, and I enjoyed them both. But I, I think I mentioned this in another series. I'd sit around, and it, my thing, after school, after I got my homework done, because I did my homework promptly or else my dad would yell at me. Mm -hmm. So I'd get my homework done, I'd show it to my parents to prove that it was done, and I'd eat my supper, clean my plate, <laughs> skip my dessert, because I was not sweet enough for that. And then I'd go and I'd play some shitty game like Gran Turismo with the volume on mute, and I'd listen to CDs. Yeah. I'd take my Casio CD player, out next to, and it was a Casio with a K. It was like a knockoff, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah. I'd set it up. It was, it was not even like the one with detachable speakers. It was like one of those ones you carry. Like a boombox. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I'd set it up next to me, and I'd just, like, bump something. So I went through a little bit of Chumbawamba phase. <laughs> I went through a bit of a corn phase. I did some monster magnet for a while. I think everyone went through a corn phase. Everyone from the 90s definitely went through a corn phase. If you were into music in 1999, you listened to corn. I don't care who the hell you were. Hell yeah, you did. Just the other week, I had Adidas stuck in my head out of nowhere. <laughs> but I listened to a lot of White Zombie. Yeah. But I always had this feeling that there was a band out there for me. It was my damn band. Yeah. And every time I listened to something, it was like, yeah, this is cool. I like the corn. But that's, you know, that's Steve's band, the skater kid from my class. And, oh, the White Zombie, like, that's this other kid's band. Like, it, all these people go in and bang their heads and listen to White Zombie. That's not my shit. Yeah. And none of it quite clicked with me. I liked it. I like a lot of that to this day. I'll still bump that. Yeah. But I was like, no, no, no. That's it didn't not what fit. I'm looking for. That's yeah. not my shit. And I do those BMG 12 CDs for the price of one deal. Remember those? <laughs> I remember those. Yeah. That fucking scam. Yeah. I, I, I ordered so many of those damn CDs, I think I'm still in debt to BMG. They're out of business, so they can't call me on it anymore. Yeah, the first 20 are a penny, and then they jack up the price on you. Yeah, then you have to buy like 10 more, like $72 a piece. <laughs> yeah. Uh. But I didn't find that CP that way. Yeah, I got, well. I've got a whole <laughs> shelf full of CDs in there that I didn't find what I was looking for. I've got some Bush CDs. I've got some Rush CDs. I've got some Third Eye Blind, Matchbox 20. Fucking good CD, by the way. Oh, it's yeah. It's not for someone like you. I listen to that to this day, and it's pretty fucking stellar. Do you know what's a good one that I got from the BMG thing? Is the Wallflowers, uh, um, what's that one? Brandon uh, Dillon? 
Yeah, yeah no, uh, it's a Jacob Dylan. Whatever, <laughs> but, I made that up. But uh, uh, Bringing Down the Horse, I believe it's called. Huh, and is it a heroin reference? No, it's like Bringing Down the House, but Stupid, I uh. think is the reference. But that album is great, and they play it like a, a fucking Rhodes organ on every single track. Like, on every track, there's a fucking organ. Weird. Yeah, it's really cool. The only thing I know about that band is the We Can Be Heroes David Bowie cover from the Godzilla soundtrack. What about the the version of One Headlight performed with uh, Your Man, The Boss? Oh. Bruce Springsteen. I've probably, like, heard it on YouTube. It's the best performance I've ever heard of that song. Really? Yeah. Because huh. he just blew them away? Uh, yeah, he j- he makes Jacob Dylan look like an idiot and then plays a guitar solo that's, like, incredible. A small child. Yeah. Idiot. yeah. So... Finally, I was sitting playing some Gran Turismo, and I was listening to this album, and it was already a pretty good album. It was in semi-rotation, but then there was one lyric that just sparked for me, and we're going to get to that right away. We're going to cover a couple other things first. Okay. And I, you probably know what the lyric is already. I definitely picked the song because I wanted to address that lyric. Yeah. Um, but first, let's talk about the concept of the album and the guest stars. Do you know the guest stars on this album? I don't. We have Old Dirty Bastard. My one of my favorites, absolutely favorites, fucking yeah. legend. We have Snoop Dogg. Yeah, who I think is a bit overrated. I don't love Snoop Dogg that much. His, but he, he, you gotta respect Snoop Dogg. Doggy Style is a great album. Beyond that, I Doggy don't really a great give a shit. <laughs> yeah. And finally, on a B side that didn't make it to the album, we have motherfucking Ice T. Cop killing himself. Yeah. Yeah. You knew that? Oh, of course. I love Ice T. That Ice T was on it. I mean. Oh no! Oh. I just, <laughs> you reacted really fast. No, I just really like... Uh, really you had that like one in the team. can, yeah. Really That's like not a lot of albums or bands really sparked, like, a censorship outrage. Yeah. But Cop Killer, I think, is up there. You could um, also... Manson's Antichrist Superstar would be up there. You could also argue that Ice-T was an influence on the sound that ICP had because... Uh, he, de- he definitely was. Because he did Body Count, which was basically, like, it was like a hardcore band that he rapped with. Yeah. And you could also say that he influenced Rage Against the Machine... And all sorts of rap rock combos. He was the first one to do it, and you could kind of trace it all back to Ice T. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. Too bad, too bad crew were another one that I was going to mention as one that sparked a lot of outrage. Yo, yeah. <laughs> that was fucking stupid. For entirely different reasons. Yeah. I've seen them live, and let me tell you, it, it gets awkward at times. I bet. I mean, not not a lot of disrespect to them, but like. It's these like, little forty-year-old men, like young, like give me head and stuff like this, and like trying to grab girls in the audience, and they don't quite know who these guys are. It's just kind of weird. I'm, I'm sure they've got a time and a place, but when I saw them, it didn't translate as well as I was hoping. That's like when you go see those old punk rocker bands. Like it's like a, be a punk band. Like I saw a Fucked Up one time live, and uh, they're like in their late fifties, <laughs> and they're like playing all these rebellious songs, and they're like fat and have gray hair. <laughs> It's really weird. Yeah. So the Amazing Jekyll Brothers, for its time, I've got to say is probably like one of the more nuanced and thematically complex of the Joker's cards. Yeah. And that might be true even to this day, other than possibly the most latest, the most recent one. The story or the idea behind the Jekyll Brothers, and you mm-hmm. might have caught on to a little bit of this, is that they're twins. They're two brothers. Yeah. Who perform for you, of course, after you die. Yeah. And... There's a good one, and there's a bad one. Yeah. One that wants you to succeed in life, and one that wants to see you go straight to hell. The good one is called Jake, and he's the more orangey one. And the yeah. bad one is called Jack, with the big sinister smile. Yeah. And he's got more yellow to them. And what they do is juggle your sins for you. 
Okay. This, this great juggling act that you get to go down, sit down in the big top, and watch the Jekyll brothers put on their show. Yeah. And Jake wants to complete the show. Because if, if they complete the show, straight up to heaven. Yeah. Shangri-La, as they call it in one of the songs here. And if they drop a ball, down to hell for you. And Jake is trying to keep them all up. He's doing his best. He's going this way. He's going that way. He wants to keep the balls juggling. He wants to keep them in the air. Yeah. Jack, not so much. Yeah. He'll throw curveballs. He'll throw weak Overhands. He'll do the <laughs> pop flies and the grounders. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to fuck up the whole show. So, I think you heard it in this song that we listened to just oh, now. Yes. It, it describes it. Because like, this song does, really does a good job of articulating things. One of the, I'm going to quote two different lyrics from it. One that says, if Jake drop, Jekyll drops in you a ball, no more chicks, just sizzling balls. <laughs> and another one that repeats. It's basically the chorus of this song. Yeah. Jekyll drop ball, Shangri-La dies. Jekyll drop ball, Shangri-La dies. Jekyll drop ball, Shangri-La dies. One for your dreams, two for your lies. Right. And I think that, like, oh, as a kid, that just had me spellbound. That's not the lyric I'm talking about right now. Yeah. But it paints such a cool picture of this theoretical afterlife. It's like, how many times? I go around, like, thinking, like, oh, should I do this? Yeah, another ball on my shelf. And, okay, so are we into the song? We are into the songs now, absolutely. Okay, what, what, uh, this first one is... Jake Jekyll. Jake Jekyll and Slash... Like it goes into the no. first song, or is, was that? Well, yeah. maybe this is the first time you've caught on to this. Yeah. But I've tried to be limiting it to five songs, and sometimes I just can't do that. Yeah. So I counted. Jake Jekyll's kind of an intro anyway, so it hardly counts as a song. Yeah. So this one and Bring It On are two different songs, numerically, and in all different senses of the word, but they're listed and paired together. Just because I was trying to pull up that. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if it was one song with an intro or... Songs. No, absolutely okay. two separate songs. Okay. Jake Jekyll is kind of sets the t tone for the first half of the album, and then J the Jack Jekyll song, okay. which is lyrically different, but sounds much the same. Like it has the same chorus and all that, but it's yeah. about he is of your misery, he is of your hate, rather than he is of your positivity, he is of your love. So it introduces the two different yeah, characters, yeah. and then there's like thematically kind of different sounds to those halves of the album, which is very interesting, I would say. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I put down Shangri-La question mark. You answer that question already. <laughs> well, well, why did you have that noted? Just the uh, first time I've heard it used in a song, and I had no idea what it was in reference to at the time. So Excellent yeah. catch. Because it's something we're going to come back to next episode. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lyric that we're going to explore next episode. To spoil it, they say, we mention more and more of this on every Joker's card. Okay. And this is a great example of that being really, really fucking overt. In fact, that's the name of the next card, the Wraith Shangri-La. Okay. Yeah, yeah, because I noticed this, the, the, the theming in the, 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 like the background, the story that they're doing. There's a lot of things that they mention over and over again. The carnival, the caravan, or whatever the hell. The wagons. The we're going to cover later as well. Excellent. Wow. Yeah, they mention all these things repeatedly, but Shangri-La was the first time that I've heard that come up. And there's a couple other things in this that, that I, I was kind of like, oh, that's, I've never Shangri-La, we haven't heard any songs. I think it's been dropped once or twice before, and other versions, like, you know, Heaven, Paradise, stuff like that, have yeah. been explored, and will be more and more. But they're definitely in overdrive right now, trying to build this concept and trying to prepare for the sixth, yeah. even though at this point, they don't know what it is yet. Okay. They're still struggling with that, but they're getting it together, and you can hear it artistically taking shape as they really, like, it's always kind of been about good and evil, and right morality choices but every card it's getting a lot clearer and like drawing those lines a lot better and this one just does that fantastically from from the dichotomy of the two album covers to yeah. some of these themes that you're noticing in it 
Well, one, it's like the duality thing, like like with the two uh, uh, covers, it's kind of like the uh, the masks, like the the ancient Greek uh, yeah, drama mask. Yes. Yeah, the drama masks kind of idea, where it's uh, like there's like good theming in this. Like, it, I, do, do I think it's the most cohesive message so far? Not really, but I mean, like, it's the theming's awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's one of those things where like. If, if this was a movie and I saw those, I would imagine that there was some bigger, grander thing to it. Yeah, and there sure yeah. is. And I think I explained in the first episode, it's not a rock opera. Yeah. It's not a comprehensive story. Yeah. And a lot of times when people are talking about ICP, they make it sound like that. It's yeah. a thematic story. It's right. not like a step-by-step. It's not the fucking Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. It's a mythology, and there's interconnected pieces, and there's things that go together really well. But yeah, it's not a clear beginning to end. You it's, kind of put it together yourself. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of work to okay. do, and there's a lot that we just could never cover, even if we had 100 episodes, of how it happens. Because some of it happens just with the Juggalos, and it builds with the Juggalos. And right. Going to gatherings and meeting fans and talking to them and talking on message boards and putting these different strands together. Yeah. I'd have hours and hours every night where I'd get on message boards and talk with Juggalos and be like, oh, let's break this song down. What does this mean? What does this mean? <laughs> And like solving it like a code. Yeah. We could get into the numerology. We could get into the multiple messages and lyrics and different things that connect. And we could go forever on that. And something that we'll talk about next episode as well is all the stuff that was going out outside the Joker's card. Like with these other bands and with guest appearances right. and like super groups that ICP were doing on the side, building this story and building this world a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. So this series right now is just covering the first six Joker's cards. That's all we're focused on. Other than that one Halloween episode we did for Shits and Giggles. Yeah. But there's, like I said, there's seasons to go and there's a lot more to cover. And I want to engage people and find out their own takes and what they think we should cover as well. Yeah, for sure. And we'd like to hear feedback once again, art and all that stuff. Send it in. Hells to the yeah. Um, um, there's two other things that happened to bring it on that I want to cover. First of all, how do yep. you like that David Koresh line? Uh, they're written down. <laughs> did, did he say pimping like David Koresh? Pimping like David Koresh. Was. Was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, very topical. Like, I felt like this album had a lot of that. Like, they had a lot of, like, uh, pop culture references. Well, specifically, you're thinking of the next song, I think. Yeah, yeah, there's a few things where I was like, this is very of the times. Grant, not exactly, because the David Crash thing was 96, I want to say. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Pimpin' like David Crash. Like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? The guy was a fucking pimp. <laughs> well, kind of. You can't start a cult without being a pimp. I guess, I guess. I'll give you that, I'll give you that. I I, I don't associate Pimp and David Koresh together, but... I straight up do, and it's mostly because of this song, but that that reference makes perfect sense to me. Oddly enough, Mark randomly sent sent a text to me like today or yesterday with that line in it. Weird. Very weird. Um, So I also said, like, uh, I had a note here, in the hook of the song, there's like crazy piano that sounds like... Like, I, I have my piano downstairs always turned on, and uh, sometimes my cats will step on it and walk across it. It just sounds like that. Yeah. It's the most terrifying sound ever when you're alone in the house. That sounds nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's one lyric in this song, and yeah. it's Shaggy that sings it, and the lyric goes, dead bigots face down in the pond. Yeah. And I don't know what track goes on. I don't remember anything about Gran Turismo, to be honest. I was driving <laughs> a car, I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah. And... I like paused it and I rewound it and played that back and everything about like my small town that I grew up in and some of the weird rednecks I was surrounded by and some yeah. of the stuff that I was struggling with as a kid kind of came to a head right in that moment and it's like dead bigots dead bigots and 
remember I hadn't heard Chicken Hunt and I hadn't heard anything from the rest of their catalog. This was my first album. And it's like, yeah. fuck, like, this is the band. They're about something. Like, they're really right. trying to say something behind all this clown pain and the masks and the terror. Like, there's something behind this. And that was the moment that I started putting the story together. I started being like, they said juggaloing out of the song. What's that? <laughs> and yeah, I'd yeah. go through the liner notes and read everything and be like, what are they talking about? Like, this is madness, but there's something to it. I know that. I know there is. And the next time I went to the city, I bought Grady Malenko and the Riddle Box and just worked my way back and then out and went online started talking to people and it was fucking on like I've never looked back that was in 99 it's now what 2020 so that's more than yeah. 20 years ago now Jesus yeah. I, I think that there's like almost everybody at a certain like age in their music listening like gets to like they start out and they're like this is fun this is funny this is weird this is like and they get obsessed. Wh whatever and then there's just one thing that will go like sparks like a holy shit this is about something it's the first time you really realize music is about something yeah and you feel yeah. like you're the first one realizing that right. and like that, that's why they always say like you know you have that discussion with um older jugglers now who don't like any of the new shit yeah or like people making fun of kids and what they're listening to now like, yeah Whatever you find at that age, that's going to be you forever. Like, yeah. Because that's the most magical time to be alive, pretty much, is that, like, 14, 15 area where you're kind of defining yourself and figuring, and you feel like you're on the cutting edge of the world, right? Yeah, and, and like, it's all kind of, like, if you look back, it's all kind of goofy. <laughs> and you Except can, like... for this, I found the right thing. <laughs> that's the point here. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so that line, that this album and this song were my intro point. I know this comes late in the series, but I really wanted to stress that. It fucking did it for me. I love the Jekyll Brothers forever because of that. And fucking thank you for that moment, for everything I've had. The hatch man that I have on my arm and what I wear around my neck. All the friends I've met. Gatherings I've been to. The juggalettes I've met. <laughs> everything, you know? All, the, all the fagas drank and all the fagos sprayed drank, on you. sprayed, busted on my head. I've got like 17 scars on my body. From ICP shows. <laughs> Thanks for every one of those, too. It's been a fucking ride. The next song is Terror. <laughs> no, it's fantastic, but it's called yeah. Terror. Yeah, yeah. And that, I think, is probably the one that you found a lot of dated references in. Yes. It's chock full of them. It's also a fantastic song and really helped build the album for me. But I want to hear your take on it. Okay, so a couple of things at the beginning. I, I, I just had the note. It kind of sounds like a. Uh, like a wrestling promo kind of intro that and i was like oh cool like they, they really like nailed that down that, yeah and that's how they did we might even do an episode just listening to interviews sometime because they yeah. really they don't do it as much anymore but man they do the shit out of the wrestling <laughs> promos at the end of the day just yell let me tell you something bro <laughs> they just go in and out screaming at people and not making any sense for when we do that i'd like to get a different setup where we watch it live and talk while we're doing it makes sense um so the other thing I, I mentioned here, and this is going to be for uh, people who play guitar around this time period, is the guitar in this song, and I think in a couple of the other songs, um, uses, like I can tell immediately they're using what is called a line six, where at the time, back when the recording was like barely digital, there was this amp where it was like a pod, like it was this weird thing that you would like plug your guitar into and then plug into the computer. Computer would process your guitar into the sound of different actual amps so you could like customize what amp you were using okay. and like what effects but it doesn't sound perfect and there's this weird little 
thing that's left over when you use it where everything feels like it's um uh there's no room sound you know what i mean like there's no I it's just no idea what you mean everything is really crisp and every single like when you hit a note and it's like it doesn't resonate for very long it's just like down down Okay. Like normally you'd like echo off or like have like some room sound or some bigness to it. Right. But it's really just it feels like you're playing it in a closet. And this this is for sure a line six. If not a line six, something very similar. But it's a line seven. <laughs> yes. So Link Diamond Mikey Clark, if you're listening, let us know. Is it truly a line six or is Scott full of shit? And and this is uh, the the kind of thing like if you ever hear like a karaoke track, they often use the line. They often use karaoke tracks, like line sixes in karaoke tracks. Are karaoke tracks just the lyrics taken out of songs? No. What? People record them because otherwise it's copyright infringement. Travis used to do that. He used to record karaoke tracks. And you would play every part of a song except for the vocals. And like because you had to play like different styles of music, you'd have to have a versatile thing. So this would be able to do different amp sounds. So karaoke tracks have the same sound. So that, yeah, that's more what that. I'm saying here. Is this okay. is a karaoke track style guitar. I think this track <laughs> did a really good job. It did have the data references, and maybe that's what you mean by edgy. But and it also, I mean, it shows their anger at the time. They were pretty frustrated, pretty angry. They'd been dropped multiple times. They've been fucked around by record yeah. labels. They were, and they were kind of like ready to go it on their own at this point, despite the fact that they were still on island and still pretty big. Well, like, okay, let's rattle off some of the references. I only wrote down one, but like, what, what are some that stand out to you? And we'll, we'll talk about Well, them. they mentioned Cobain again. Yeah. And they mentioned Easy e Yeah. And this Cobain lyrics kind of cooler because it puts the two of them together and it says like the world went crazy when Cobain died, but nobody gave a fuck when Easy e died at AIDS, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's because Easy e was kind of a dick about it. <laughs> well, Easy e was a dick about a lot of things, but he's still a goddamn legend. Yeah, but he also said that he had unprotected sex on Howard Stern, and he was like, aren't you afraid of AIDS? And he's like, girls I have sex with don't have AIDS. <laughs> died of AIDS like a month later. Nobody understood AIDS at that time. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> I don't think he did. Yeah, because he's fucking dumb. <laughs> and he probably had sex with a bunch of girls while he had AIDS. Oh, definitely. That's why nobody talks about him, because <laughs> it was like tarnished. Um, they touched on Bill Clinton. Yeah. They touched on the Oklahoma City bombing. The Bill Clinton one was the one that I thought was the most dated because that's one of those ones where at the time, the like, the take to have if you weren't like a conservative was, well, I mean, all he did was get a blowjob in the office. Who cares kind of thing. And like, that's ah, not that simple. You know what I mean? Like, like hmm. do I think that he should be impeached for it? No, not really. But it is, is it an incredible abuse of his power? Yes. And is it, was it taking advantage of a, a young woman who he had infinitely more power dynamic, like an infinite bigger position? It's, it's the same thing where like the boss is having sex with the secretary. It's like, yeah. except for the fact that the boss is the most powerful man in the world. And it's like, yeah, I get that she went along with it and all that stuff, but like, Fuck that. <laughs> like, I get it. I'm not yeah. here defending Clinton, and I don't yeah. think they were actually defending Clinton either. No. The line is, like, malls are blowing up, cops are corrupt, and all yeah. you care about is who the president fucks. I, I think yeah. it's an attack on the media more than anything. Yeah, it's more an attack on Ken Starr at that point, and, and I get it. But, I mean, there, there was definitely, like, a tinge of that was the kind of thing people were saying at the time, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, come on. It's not, like, it is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's something you should pay attention to, but it's not, like, you know. 
Yeah, it's juxtaposing priorities, I think, is what this song is doing. What, yeah. what are the really terrible things? Yeah. That's pretty bad. Is it terrible compared to some other things? Arguably. Yeah. Um, I, I also like a, another line that you might not have catched is um, like talking about OJ. And they're, yeah, not, they're yeah. not trying to defend OJ. Yeah. They're saying that OJ's whack story unfolded and everybody watched that while Oklahoma exploded. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, and I'm, I'm with them on that, too. That, that's that's one of those things where, uh, yeah, yeah that, that, that was dead on. I think that holds up pretty well for this thing. That's what I was going to say, the Oklahoma City bombing thing. It's, it's like saying that that did not get nearly enough press. Well, it did get press coverage, but like they did nothing about it. Yeah. Like like that was like supremacist terrorists. Yeah. And right? they, they touched on the rebel flag as well. In this. Yeah. Um, we've, we've talked a lot about the rebel flag and all that, but they yeah. really like call it out over war. Yeah. I, and uh, I also put down here, they kind of, like, uh, a lot of the rapping kind of reminds me of ODB style in the song. Yeah, I can do that. You know what I mean? Like that sloppy kind of, like, it feels like you're drifting around as you... And I didn't even play you the ODB song. <laughs> which I think I've heard the ODB song. Bitches? On yeah, yeah. yeah. A favorite of Mark's. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've told you the story behind that song. You, you have, but you continue, have, yeah. continue. Um, what, what happened with that is, like, they got ODB. So like they sent him the reels and told him the idea behind their song and all that. Yeah. And they got back just madness. Just ODB <laughs> likely in like a crack or whatever fueled haze. Yeah. Just screaming about fucking bitches. <laughs> yeah. Like for like 20 minutes. And they decided to like redo the whole song, call it bitches, like cut <laughs> apart everything ODB said and like rearrange it back together, Frankenstein monster it and made a song called bitches out of that. Yeah. Which turned into a pretty funny song. But my favorite part of that story is, like, after they were done, after they listened to 20 minutes of this going on, they, there was, like, silence at the end. And they're like, what? The reel's still going. So, they, like, turn it way up. And you could hear him, like, he must have left the room or something. <laughs> and he just did, bitches, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> like, he just walked away from the mic and just kept on ranting about bitches. There's a, I want to say it was on MTV Raps that uh, he appeared, but it was, like, a live appearance where he was like a guest and he was like well being interviewed drunk as fuck like like out of his mind falling over drunk and they're like how about you do a freestyle for us and you're like oh this is going to be a disaster and that guy can freestyle drunk better than anybody I've ever seen in my life <laughs> it is it is legendary like look that up everybody that is an incredible performance <laughs> awesome um, <laughs> there's a closing line in this. It says, "As soon as our wagons come over the hill." Yeah. What did how, you caught that? What did you think of that line? Well, oh, okay, give, give me some context to it because I remember when I heard it. Um, it goes, it, "You don't know terrible, but you will as soon as our wagons come over the hill." Right, and and that's in reference to like the the carnival coming to town thing that we did yeah. in the other albums. Yeah, and, and basically that you're going to be judged. Absolutely. Stuff, yeah. it, it's it's bringing it, I mean, right from the get-go, that was kind of like bordering on like, you know, the ghetto and the terror that we live with mm -hmm. going into the city where you live. So bringing right. the, the heinous things that are going on in impoverished neighborhoods to bring them to rich neighborhoods to show you how terrible it really is instead of just being something like, oh, that happens over there. Yeah, know? yeah. But it's also, and more so now, I think, it's becoming a sort of like afterlife or spiritual metaphor of saying right. like the wagons coming for you to take you away yeah judgment day. It, it's almost become like a river stixian um yeah. sort of idea of these wagons will come and i mean we'll touch on that in the final song of this as well where yeah. 
I, I was gonna say more than the river sticks. I would say like more than like the there, there was a man on a pale horse he rides kind of thing. Perfect. Yeah, like because that, that's yeah that's what it reminds me of is like the the uh, what is that uh, book in the Bible where it's all fucked up and there's like a like a revelation. Yeah, there's like a beast with like six heads and like chicken feet and all that shit. Yeah. Does the six heads be the Joker's character? I, I, I don't know if it's six heads. I just don't know. <laughs> but look that up, guys. It's fucked up. They describe this beast, and it's like the stupidest looking creature ever. <laughs> oh, that's when they're just getting carried away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, Revelations is nuts. And we'll, we'll get back to the wagons, because the okay. wagons first came up, if you remember, in our Ringmaster. Yeah. We were at Wagon Wagon. So that's a really recurring theme as well in these. Um, but yeah, it's kind of speaking to the end times in their own mythology, and something that's really well established, and we're going to hear come up again. Next song was Everybody Rise. How'd that one fit for you? Uh, <laughs> well, I really enjoyed uh, uh, the Fuck Gene Simmons and the Psycho Circus. You make me yeah. Psycho Circus just so much. Yeah, that album fucking sucked. I mean, remember <laughs> them trying to push that so hard with the CGI clowns in that video. Yeah, it had like a 3D cover, didn't it? Yeah, it was fucking dumb. And I remember our friend Dave, that was one of his first albums he ever bought, and he loved it. By the way, make fun of him for that, because that's super nice. I also put down, it sounds like they have an insane in the membrane sample in this. That, like, high note, that, 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 that. I think it's in here, if not, it's something very similar. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. That, that is pretty similar. I couldn't say if it's exactly similar or not. Maybe something can weigh in on that. Um, did it remind you of any other songs that you listened to? Ah. Uh, not off the top of my head, like I couldn't name a song, but there there was one where it was like, uh, I, I want to say that one where he's doing like a sales pitch kind of thing, and he was, it was like, uh, I can't remember the name of the song at this point, but but he was like dissing a bunch of people and then trying to sell the album at the same time and saying it, like. Oh, it might be, yeah, yeah are you thinking of Down with the Clown? Possibly, possibly. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't say definitively, but. Yeah, it definitely reminded me of Tinges of Other Things, where it was basically like a big, uh, uh, oh, like I, I guess the chorus and the verses are very different from the song. Like the verses, they are, yeah. yeah chorus, the the, the chorus verses are kind of a call to action, jump yeah. love song. I thought like Down with the Clown and several other ones. The verses have yeah. an interesting reference in them. Well, or, or at least something that kind of strikes to me yeah. is, um, like, you know, the, the chorus goes like, everybody raise their lips, Yes. And it mentions all the different sides. And that made me think of the ports up, ports down from the ringmaster. Oh, saying, like, yeah. all the sets in night. Everybody over here, everybody over there, everybody up there and down there. Yeah. You're all together. You're all one. It's a unity vibe, right? Yeah. I thought that's kind of cool. Even as they say, Michael Eisner can suck my dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. Because that's what I was thinking. They were doing, like, a lot of, like, uh, like just calling people out in the verses. And that's more what I thought of this song. Like, I get it. Yeah, now that you mention it, like, yeah, the chorus is, is pretty, like, it's like a juggle anthem kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But in the verses, it has a totally different vibe. I was more paying attention to the verses just because, like, there was more stuff to, to listen to there. But Yeah, yeah they, they yeah. do a lot in those verses. One line that I really love is, fuck skin color, everybody's blue, then what would all those bigots do? Instead of your tone, they hate your size. Yeah, yeah that, that was another line that I put, like, wrote down because it was also very 1999. <laughs> because that was, that was one of those things that, like, you know, we all said it and did it, but going, like, the... 
oh man, like I don't even see color kind of thing. Right. You know, it might as well be blue to me. And it's like, no, but by saying that, you're disacknowledging that a black person might have a different life than you. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Okay, yeah. You still have to acknowledge the fact that there's skin color because even if... Well, they're not trying to yeah. get into systemic injustice yeah. and white privilege in this song, Scott. They're saying don't be fucking racist. <laughs> More what I'm saying is that's the kind of take you would get in 1999. Today, that would be have to be a more nuanced take. No, I think they'd say the same thing today. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But that really struck me as very 1999. I get what you're saying yeah. entirely. It is a more complex issue than that. Yeah. But it was an attack on Biggest, not a commentary on the inherent systemic injustices of our legal system <laughs> and socioeconomic status. Yeah. You have to see skin color until everybody stops. It starts being equal, basically. Now, I want to go off on a little tangent. Yep. Um, because this song had an alternate version, a first version. Raised from the ground, and I love that version. Like, it didn't come out from until I And and what's the difference on that? Completely everything's different except for the beat. Oh. <laughs> um. And this one is about dead people rising up from the ground and dancing around, oh, sweet. which which is a common yeah, yeah. theme, and one once again that talks about a lot about unity and acceptance and coming together, and touches on the whole afterlife. Which yeah. is what that I've always made the argument that those songs kind of always do right back to like things like uh this Boogie. Yeah. And things like that. But um the the part that says fuck skin color in this one, the lyric is Ain't no dead bigots, no way dead people all come in butthole grave. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I just wanted to quote that lyric for you because I think I like my fuck even better than the original. Butthole grave. Yeah, that's that's the description I use a lot. That's that's a Crayola color right there. It should be. <laughs> Butthole grave. Finally, there's one last lyric that I want to reference here because I think this lyric was almost a goodbye to the former age as the family age begins. Yeah. And maybe a, a swan song for it, and it's something that we're going to revisit probably like two or three seasons from now because it was this lyric was revisited in a recent song. Okay. Another lyric here is. ICP, we roam alone ever since Inner City Ghetto Zone. So that is a shout out. The Inner City Ghetto Zone is a shout out way to the Inner City Posse days yeah. when the gang fell apart and it was just the two of them. Yeah. And it's also pointing out like everybody else has their cliques. And I mean, they call themselves the Posse, but it's two of them and the <laughs> Juggalos. Like that's their fucking clique. And that's kind of what they're saying in that. Yeah. They're not like off with, you know, NSYNC or anybody else trying to do Christmas albums. They're not doing collaborations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not doing a lot of those. And they began to shortly after this. Of course, on this song, it also says, fuck Palooza, big festivals, we'll never sell out with you bitch assholes. And then they did with that 99 that year. That same year, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, they defend that by saying, well, you know, we didn't go to Woodstock, they came to us, they didn't make us change anything. Yeah. You know, they, they weren't marching themselves to Woodstock, they weren't saying, hey, we'll throw, you know, Aquafina instead of Fago. Well, I think a lot of festivals at that time were pretty, like, uh, I, I, I don't know. There was, like, a resurgence in, uh, in in more independent festivals around that time. So Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And it gave them the idea for the ultimate festival, the greatest of all time. You mean fire festival? <laughs> no, I mean Burning Man. <laughs> fire festival's amazing in and of itself. Um, the guy who was given blowjobs for water bottles is my favorite. Yeah. Uh, um, 
Everybody, if you don't know about Fire Festival, look that shit up. There's a documentary about it. It's There's like two documentaries about it. Yeah. One made by uh, Netflix and one made by uh, Amazon. And Amazon was partly like funded Fire Festival, right? Like, so one of them is skewed in one direction and the other is skewed in another direction. Yeah. So watch so both of them. Amazon's is kind of apologetic. I've only seen Netflix's. No, but like both versions tell a different story and omit details. Okay. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Both have interest in making it not look as stupid, or perhaps less fair enough. But. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The the penultimate song because you love that word. Yes. That we listened to today is Echo Side. Yeah. This song has some interesting history to it. Okay. Because this song came out as a single. Okay. And it wasn't a single for the Jets Brothers. It's the original Dark Lotus. What the hell is that? Good question. Dark Lotus is a super group that ICP was forming at this time. Yeah. Uh, with them and Twisted. Okay. Together as one band. And what they were going to focus on is really like black magic type rap. And okay. Really, really evil sounding, like with a lot more like backward stuff and like um, Necronomicon type themes and stuff okay. like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to go like really dark with it. So they released this single. Which was just all black. It had no text on it whatsoever. Not the whole album, inside, outside. Yeah. Nothing. It was just black. <laughs> and I've got a copy of it. It's pretty cool though. But um, it was just the Echo Side single. It's called now. And it was technically like the first Dark Lotus song at the time. Okay. Um. So it came up before the album. Like it was like a. Yeah, and then it became, came onto this album. So there's actually um, it's kind of like it's it's more looked at as an ICP song right now, but it kind of started as a Dark Lotus song. It definitely stood out as being incredibly different. Yeah. Yeah. It had a different sound to it, right? And a lot of the voices on there were actually twisted. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, he also put down, like, a, it has low-energy rap vibe, and I really like low-energy rap. It it's is very stripped back. It is one of my favorites, and if and if you really want to listen to the most depressive rap ever, listen to Earl Sweatshirt's latest album. I don't know that guy, but... That fucking album is called oh, Bomber. has it. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Dark Lotus, to my mind, and we'll probably do an episode on Dark Lotus some point maybe even two yeah but um it was kind of an effort i think to bridge the gap in the era around the fifth and leading into the sixth okay to increase the mythology a bit more and adjust bring a little bit more maybe of the spiritual element in there as well i think hmm. um but we'll get to that don't you worry hold on to your fucking horses <laughs> bizarre bizarre was part of that too there was a lot going on um so yeah it's stripped back it's very low energy um, it, what it's doing is kind of giving this like really creative, wicked view of hell and just describing it in really gory detail of a man who was admitted, like they established right away that he deserved all of this. Yeah. And then it's just him getting tortured and thinking that he's escaped and finding out he's just internally fucked. Yeah, yeah I, I really like the, the gate at the end. <laughs> yeah. front door to the front gates of hell. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wrote down, and I'm not sure if this is uh, the first, but... I don't think I've heard them reference hell before until this song. Yeah, they have. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, like, it always feels like it's, like, some other sort of, like... Like, I, I, this was the first album where I was like, oh, there's heaven and hell. Weird. Mm-hmm. Before I imagined it was, like, some other weird carnival-based thing. No, there's definitely aspects of that. Um, One song I don't think I played you from... Um... Riddlebox was The Killing Fields. Oh, okay. Which is a very similar kind of song about going to hell and just running around and being tortured eternally. Oh, sweet. So, yeah, they, they've always done songs about, like, hellacious places, whether they call it hell or something oh, okay. else. And they've also done, like, if you think about Pass Me By from the last album we yeah. listened to. 
that's a song about heaven, right? Right, Unless yeah. Unless I played the song just like that, where he gets killed, mm-hmm. the drive-by, bang, he's dead, and then the song starts like, I woke up, I woke up in a parking lot, right? Yeah. And he's got the 64 on keys, and like, it's him just going around exploring heaven, how fresh it is, and he's got his own mansion and all that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you're right, you're right. <laughs> there have yeah. been these songs all throughout. They don't always use heaven and hell, and like in this, they use Shangri-La. Mm-hmm. Um, this song does mention hell, although for the most talk part, it's talking about something called the echo side rather than hell directly. Yeah, which is yeah, which is like a a, a mirrored version, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Um, and and you showed me in this that there was a backwards uh, part to this. I did, and I played it for you. Yeah. Because, as I said, like once ICP hooked me, they hooked me deep, and I could show you. Like I should actually beforehand went through the booklet. For you and show you like they have riddles and mm-hmm. phone numbers to call and like all kinds of stuff to solve like there's so much packed into their album liners more and more and more as time goes on yeah and this is probably one of my favorite songs it's got so much cool stuff in it and um so i was listening to the al- album and like i heard that yeah right and i'm like well that's gotta be something yeah exactly and so i think i heard the idea from the beatles called backmasking right yeah Backmasking. Uh, well, uh, backmasking is is what the, like putting in subliminal messages or whatever, and that this, like the Beatles didn't, didn't actually, actually do it. Yeah, it was just playing it backwards made people think they were hearing sound. So it was a different phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But I got the idea like this. I think they're actually doing this. So I like took my old Casio over to the computer, like held it up to a computer mic, yeah, and recorded it, and then used. I think it was like it might have even been my Mac back then, so whatever the Mac version of Windows Media was. Yeah. Mac Media. Yeah, yeah. And um, then hit, like, play in reverse, which I don't even know if you can do that easily on computers nowadays, but you could back then. Uh, well, well, it depends on what you have. Sure. Like, if you have to throw out an audible, it's like a click of a button. Okay. Back then, it was a click of a button, and I was yeah. like, yeah, they are saying something in that. If you haven't done that, I'm sure you can just YouTube it nowadays. Back then, you can't do it. But when, when the big demon creature comes and sits down on top of Damien and licks the back of his neck and starts talking, and there's that sing-song chant, if you play it backwards, what are they saying? Did you catch what they were saying, Scott? Sing I, it for us. I can't remember. <laughs> it says, fuck the devil, fuck that shit. We believe in life legit. If you're heeding what we say, why you throw your soul away? Yeah. So you can just imagine the fuel going on the fire for a little 15-year-old Brad at that point. Like, holy Right, because at that point it feels on. like you discovered something, too. Right? I did yeah, discover yeah. something. I didn't read about that. I yeah. got the idea. I solved it myself. I put it all together. Like, nowadays, I feel like it's impossible to do anything that fun, because instantly you can just go on Reddit, and there's already, you know, links to it, and yeah. YouTube's already got it covered. So that, back then, I had to, like, go and check, like, how do I play something backwards, and, like, find out, oh, I can do it, and okay, like, grab my mic, and it was it probably like an hour project, you know? There's, there's a real fun one on a Tool album, where uh, it's, it's uh, the song Sober by Tool. If you play incredibly loud, really low on the track, there is a muffled man going... Dum, 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 dum. Keep it down over there, and so it's meant. So if you're playing it really loud, you think it's your neighbor. <laughs> nice. And it's one of my favorite things. If you put in headphones, play sober as loud as you can, and just like right as it goes into, I believe the second chorus, you hear dum, 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 dum. keep it down in there. That's a great little detail. Yeah, I, I love it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite little uh, little additions to an album. <laughs> So, any other thoughts on that song in particular? I wanted to include that because it was so different and because I think it marks a good bridge into some of the stuff that's coming up with the set. 
no, that was about it. I, I just kind of, I, like I said, I really enjoyed the uh, the low energy stuff. Like I, I, I like that vibe of rap. I never used to, but I've, I've kind of grown to like it more in my older years. It's almost like spoken word poetry. Yeah, well, and it just kind of like, um, I, I think a lot of the times rappers try to be exciting too much. Mm-hmm. And uh, gives please, a, please, yeah, please. it gives off a totally different vibe. Like uh, the art form is getting more creative, and I think that there's there's more space for rapping in a million different styles and voices. And that mm-hmm. one is underexplored. Well, was there a lot of uh, lazy rap back in '99? Uh not that not that I could really think of. Um, lazy bone. Yeah, yeah, like one. Well, I guess <laughs> lazy bone still rapped real fucking fast. <laughs> but uh, but like Snoop was like. Probably yeah. the most laid back at that time. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So I see you pretty much trailblazed, is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, one thing this song does is what I would define as almost like separating the wicked from the evil. If okay, you know what I yeah. mean by that. Because it's like a super evil and dark sounding song, but it's still not promoting evil. It's about evil being punished. Yeah. And that's like a motif we've talked on a lot throughout this series. But it's something like, nowadays especially, like horrorcore is kind of a genre now. Yeah. And there's a lot of artists you can find out there that'll just rap about anything to sound sick. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, fucking stabbing babies to death and stuff like that. (laughs) No reason, no rhyme or reason behind it. It's just like trying to be murderers on a record. Yeah. And while ICP have always been murderers on a record, there's always been some kind of weird, twisted method to the madness. It's always been this, like weird gimmick it's it's been a wrestling persona right mm-hmm. it's like you never believed the undertaker was a bad guy other yeah. than in the ministry era obviously <laughs> kidnapped fucking stephanie mcmahon <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm pretty sure she's a horrible person in real life yeah she deserves it yeah um but yeah even with this song which is a really fucking dark song it's about showing what evil really is versus like the kind of like it's not cartoon. Evil is a real world thing. And yeah. what we're singing about is different from that. And I think they've always done a really good job of saying that evil, we're, that we're fantasizing about acting against real world evils. Mm-hmm. Cartoonish violence is not real evil, right? Yeah, no. And, and that's real good for like the clown thing because it's like, you know, you hit each other with giant hammers and shit. <laughs> like, yeah, you, it's a morality But it's for fun, yeah. yeah. Well, that takes us into the final song. I think we pretty much, and there will be an exception coming up on the next one but eventually mm-hmm. um, where we don't cover the last song on an album but today is not that day <laughs> if I can quote Eric Martin <laughs> and today we're looking at Nothing's Left track 17 there's that number again <laughs> because I don't know if you've noticed but they go with a lot of 17 yeah, yeah. which which is kind of, was kind of the vibe in the, the late 90s as well as, as having it, not 17 to, to the exact but it used to be a pretty big standard to have a 12-track album. And then there's some point in the late 90s where, like, every band that was, like, either heavy metal or rap decided that they were going to have, like, 15 to 20 songs on albums. And, like, each song would be six minutes long. And it was, like, <laughs> like bizarre. Like, I, I just remember that, like, Is it Could it have been because, like, nobody was really making cassettes anymore at that time? Do cassettes have less space in CDs? Yeah, yeah CDs had a lot more. They're 80 uh, minutes, right? Yeah, yeah, well, it depends. Like, you could even have, like, remember those ones where it would have, like, like 55 tracks and, like, all of them would be blank except for the last one because it was a secret song or whatever. Yeah. And Christ had 99. Yeah, 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 shit like that. But, like, there were so many available options. And I felt like a lot of rock bands really utilized that. And there was also this deal where, like, 
uh, like more alternative music was getting uh, radio play without having to conform to a three minute, uh, three minute thirty second time limit. So they just went nuts with Thank it. Thank you, Queens. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> this is something that happened like in in the mid '90s, like around after grunge, like when. The, the record industry had no idea what to do with grunge. They were just like, let them do what they want. And then grunge acts made like ridiculous songs. Like Sonic Youth would just like fucking break guitars on albums for 15 minutes straight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that that was kind of common at the time. Not 17, but just in general. Like, you were allowed to. Anyway, 17's ICP's number. That's the whole point. Here. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Nothing's left as a closing song. And to me, just like Pass Me By, maybe even more so. This song's fucking beautiful, man. Um, it's deep, it's gentle, it's a sweet song. It's the kind of song you just want to make love to. <laughs> it starts out with heartbeats and goats. Yeah, you need some good goats on a song. And your closing songs always have a real power to them, and they kind of strip back all the madness and the tomfoolery and the violence and the dark wickedry and say, like, hey, this is kind of what it's been. Yeah. And, like, Pass Me By was remembering, like, hey, Better times ahead, like you know, looking at the afterlife, or just better times in your own life. Looking at, let's not let this pass you by. Mm-hmm. And this one is looking at, like, nothing's left to be done, but there's a whole lot of fun to do this shit. And it's looking at all the things that have happened and all the things you can appreciate. And it's got some beautiful lyrics. One that I'll point out right now is, "Ain't no jobber that ain't been slammed." <laughs> just because I love how, even in their sweetest moments, they throw out the fucking wrestling references. You know what a jobber is, right? Ah, uh, no, I don't. Oh no. no, a jobber is like the guy who does the job, so goes in and gets oh. beat up. I got you, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, I wrote down, it's like that zen shit where it's like the what's the hand sound in one hand flapping and yeah. <laughs> tree falls in the woods shit. Like in that sense where like you can't take any of what they're saying completely literally. It's just the point of what they're saying is more important because like it says there's colors that have, yeah, it, there ain't no colors that have been seen or whatever that yeah. line was. There 100% is. Which color? There are colors that Beatles could see that we can't. Well, they're beyond, like, they're beyond red. It's a red that we can't perceive and a blue we can't perceive. Sure, sure. There, there's, like, a fucking, like, squid that could, like, see every color possible. Fuck that squid. Yeah. Go be that squid if you love it so much, man. <laughs> um, Just saying. There is colors. We could wax philosophic all day. Yeah. Is it a color you can't see? Again, like, you can talk about the light spectrum, sure. I think they're talking more about me and things. I know. <laughs> and, you know, we were talking earlier about when you're a kid, it's all, it means everything to you. Somebody else has that same experience, right? Yeah. Like, it's all been done as a tragedy that said. Yeah, that's, that wasn't the tragedy that yeah. That was, uh, uh, Bring Naked Ladies. Yeah. It's all Yeah, that's, that's a Bring Naked Ladies. Really? Tragically Hip is a much different band. I might not know who those bands are. Yeah. I'm a terrible The Tragically Hip is really cool. Oh, I think I like them, but I think <laughs> I might think they're the, tra- the bare naked ladies. Huh. Insane. In the fucking membrane, buddy. Um, I also wrote down, uh, this kind of reminds me of uh, Massive Attack. Like, uh, the style of, of beat behind it. But the chords itself, and they may have sampled something, is, I'm almost positive on this, is uh, I Don't Want to Fall in Love by Chris Isaac. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't know anything about that. Well, I'll play it for you afterwards. Cool. It's, it's a okay. great song. If anyone can confirm or deny that this is just a Jack Chris Isaac beat. 
I, I, I don't think it's jacked. I think somebody playing guitar and just learned that song and decided to kind of do make something it like it. Similar, yeah. It sounds okay. similar enough that it's noticeable. This song, as we mentioned before, once again references the wagons. Yep. It's on the day when the wagons come. Is uh, like, yeah, well, I guess, uh, like that's going to the Shangri La or whatever is where the. Yeah, well, uh, I think the wagons would take you either direction, but based on the fact uh, that he wants to get on, yeah, we can assume that these particular wagons are Shangri La bound. So it's saying that despite everything that's been done, despite that I'm feeling a bit blase about, you know, they're kind of on top of the world and they can see it not lasting. Yeah. We, we've done the ride, we've bought our ticket, we've punched our card, you know, and here we are. and I hope there's better things ahead. I hope I'm going to a better place in the end and trying to appreciate like everything that's been yeah. and trying to look at what may be. Well, and it kind of like uh, gives off the, like this gives off the impression like it's, uh, like they kind of thinking like their career is closing or something. Does it get that, give that vibe to you? Like that um, they've hit their peak, they think, and it's going down from here? Well, I wouldn't say that, but I think it's more looking at the fact that the next one is a sixth. Yeah. And right. they never knew exactly what that meant, but they always said, end of time will consume us all that's the end and we're going to talk a lot about the kind of speculation that was going around about what people thought that meant right and what it looked like and we're not going to cover all of it because that's been done on better shows than this one um you know 20 and 17 um by brandon ward and things like that have done a fantastic job of like going on to like you know archive web pages and reading people's predictions from those days right so if, if listeners have haven't heard those look those up or you can buy them on cd um somewhere i don't know fucking put it in the comment section i'll tag brandon or something but um, yeah, you, you can find those, and great jobs of that. But yeah, I think they were saying it's basically just acknowledging, like, hey, the next one is the end. It's the sixth fucking Joker's card. It's what been, we've been talking about for so long now. Yeah. And so yeah, it is looking at it as an end in a way. I wouldn't say necessarily that it's looking at it as the end of their career. Is it like at this point that the message boards and stuff like that? Is it kind of what's happening right now with, uh, like, you know, Quentin Tarantino is only making ten movies. And he just made his ninth. Okay. And people are like, what's the next one going to be? And like everyone's like going like, what if you find out what's in the briefcase? And like all this shit. Okay, you know yeah. what I mean? Like everyone thinks it's going to be really grand. My yeah, he's going to make like 20 more movies, man. Come on. No, I think he's legitimately going to stop. But my theory is it's just going to be some other movie. Like it's just going to be some other topic that he's interested in for a year. Yeah. Makes a movie and he's done. I predict he'll make more movies. Well, I, I don't know because he's had like six years in between movies at times. And he's a producer too. Like he's just gonna produce things. Yeah. Do, do some people think that uh, Tarantino's gonna kill himself after the tenth movie? No. Because a lot of people thought that would happen. That <laughs> I think he's more just gonna like busy himself with like doing theater productions and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, Writing. I have no more to say about that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Maybe. I don't know anything yeah. about that. I like some of his movies that I've seen. I don't think I've seen all ten of them. Um, another lyric is twist and spin to the other side. Yeah. When he's talking about the Jekyll flying away and kind of closing down the album. Yeah, I have a question about that. Yeah. Is is that a reference to, like, okay, so when you say twist and spin to the other side, my first thought is, like, physically twist and spin to the other side to, like, reference the, the backwards part in the song, like, the back, backwards messaging, right? Interesting, okay. And then the other one is, is it referencing the alternate album of this? Like, is that, like to the other side as in like the other like J J the Jake version the Jack <laughs> like uh no um I mean I never thought about either of those interpretations That's <laughs> that was my interpretation yeah yeah oh, I think it's talking about the, the afterlife like going to the other side yeah well, crossing the bridge well clearly but I thought there was like a double 
double meaning in there somewhere. Had like a clue to something. <laughs> I don't know. Not as much. I think like them, them going way to the other side is more so the clue as to what's coming on the next card. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. And well, and it's also there's a lot of like mirror style references, like duality references. Yeah. Echo side kind of, covers yeah. that. Other side. Echo side. Um, you know, they also mentioned like one of the lyrics on this is "Ain't no planet that he ain't turned." So that's like, I mean, arguably, but I would say that's a fairly clear God reference. Yeah. Right. So this song covers a lot of that, a lot more clues. So here we are at the end of the fifth Joker's card. The next one is the Big Daddy. And <laughs> next episode, I'm going to cover all the hype and what I was feeling like from 99 when I got this album all the way to 2002 when the sixth dropped. Mm -hmm. um, the pilgrimage I went on for that at 18 years old. Um, just some of the most formative and incredible things in my life. And like I've had, you know, I've been blessed enough to meet both members of ITP and thank them personally for the incredible impacts they've made on my life. And, you know, I've been to multiple gatherings, but I went to the one, well, we'll talk about that next time, but I went in 2002 because I couldn't wait any longer for the sixth. I was ready, and I hope everybody listening to this is as well. And Scott, I hope you are because this is your journey right now. This isn't my journey. It is, you're not yeah. a fucking juggalo, but you're taking this journey with us. Yeah, um, absolutely. So what I want to do right now before we wrap things up is hear a little bit, like, very briefly, like, if you can give a retrospective, if you want to genuflect, if you want to make some predictions. I don't know how, mu how much you know about the six, but, like, where have you seen this story go? Where do you see it going? What's it been like so far? Uh, okay. So this is a tough one. And because there's two things to remember now. Before, I, before you start going, because yeah. there's two themes I've really made very clear to keep in your mind, and that is, what is the butterfly? Yeah. And what is the end that will consume us all? <sighs> okay. The end that will consume us all, I have absolutely no idea. You could take that wherever. Like, there's so many places to take that, it's, it's hard to guess. Uh, the butterfly thing, uh, I'm going to guess it's like a metamorphosis reference because it's like it's a deal where it's uh i've seen silence of the lambs too many times and uh when they're profiling buffalo bill they, that that's their uh th their profile of him is that oh he must uh must be really conflicted about his personality and it's a metamorphosis it means he's changing blah 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 so i, I my, that's my guess is it's like this is the cocoon stage and there's like a butterfly stage which is the next one my guess is a more positive spin on the music that's just where I'm at. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so tempted to show you a picture right now, but we'll save it for the next episode. Yeah, we'll save it. Remind we'll me to it. bring up that speculation here right at the top of the next episode, which I think we're going to record in about five minutes. Interesting speculations. You're about to find out everything that there is to know. You're about to get all the answers because all along, well, not all along, but late into their career, ICP did promise and on the final track, the 17th track of the 6th Joker's Guard, yeah. they'd explain it all point blank. Huh. Interesting. There we go. Well, that Suspense. brings us to the end of the 5th Joker's Guard, the amazing Jekyll Brothers. Do you have any props, promos, or things you want to share? Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, I'm preparing my podcast that's coming out pretty soon after, after this is finished wrapping up its season. Uh, it will quickly release afterwards it's called the loony bin and it's uh exploration of the paranormal in canada and uh I'm, it's going to take an approach that isn't just reading off of wikipedia pages which uh i feel like a lot of paranormal podcasts end up doing they read a wikipedia page 
and they like basically say the same mistruths that have been said for a hundred years. <laughs> we're getting to the true truth. We're solving it all. Yeah, and uh, it's it's going to be uh, uh, pretty fun. We uh, we're gonna do a crossover episode, kind of where uh, we talk about Zog Island. So. <laughs> All y'all juggalos get the reference there. Everybody who's going to be listening to the Looney Bin will have no idea why we're talking about juggalos. <laughs> they'll think that they're just a mythical creature from America. <laughs> One thing you can all look forward to if you listen to the Looney Bin is I'll be shutting the fuck up and letting Scott do most of the talking because I don't know anything about what's going on. He's, this is going to be his expertise. I'm going to be going along for the journey. I'm just going to be a curious, gentle, baby-faced little juggalo with a big-ass beard learning about monsters in my own home country that I didn't even know about. Shit's going to get creepy. I'm going to be scared as a motherfucker. All right, that's all I've got to plug. What do you got to plug? As always, check me at Brad Oink. That's bradohinc.com. You can read my regular postings, learn more about upcoming books. Uh, my current book, Edgar's Worst Sunday, as always, still in stores. Go pick it up, leave a review. Love it, hate it. Just read it, bitches. Um, I want to give a shout-out to Shite Night. We watch shitty movies, we laugh at them, and we get drunk. Uh, I think that's still on YouTube, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, just like Scott said, check out the Looney Bin. Um, I want to give a shout out to all the different, you know, I've, I've talked to people. I've got a little bit of insights from this, uh, from people on Psychopathic Museum, Psychopathic Traders. Uh, you know, Ryan Warden, his uh, 2017 was a really helpful podcast as I listened to that and gave me some inspiration for this, certainly. So much respect there. Um, we're going to talk about this at the end of next episode, I think, but um we basically pre-recorded all these episodes because we wanted to have them all ready to release all together um, so that you wouldn't be waiting. But uh, we're going to give a little bit of space between the next one and the final two because I want to hear from you all. So I'll talk about this later, but if you have questions, comments, things that we should cover in the final episode or ideas of what we should do next season on The Gentleman Juggalo, I want to hear it. Send in my way. I'm happy to be in touch with everybody, and I think we can make some really cool stuff together. So let me know what your priorities are, what you like, what you fucking hate it and want us to never do it again. Uh, I can get like some kind of like voice modulator if you hate my voice. I know that's possible. I've heard myself on answering machines before, and I hate it too. I can get one of those cane things and talk like that. <laughs> that could be the whole season too. I swear to God we could do that. Do you have one of those? No, Fuck, we no. can't do it. I lied. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I, I, I could get you one of those like Darth Vader masks. Oh, good enough. We'll do Darth Vader. Um, let me know. I don't care. I'm open to ideas. Anyways, I think that's it for today's episode of The Gentleman Juggalo. I'm Brad Oates. This is Scott, a.k.a. Bo. Yes. And, Scott, can I get a whoop whoop? Whoop whoop! <laughs>